We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a leading independent publisher with six decades of experience supporting teachers and school leaders. Learn about research-based, easy-to-use professional development books, for your entire faculty by visiting us.johncatbookshop.com. Welcome to Transformative Principle. This is a special episode, and I want to take a moment real quick and just thank our sponsor for uh, these couple months, John Cat Educational Publishing. You can get more information about the great work that they're doing at uh, transformativeprinciple.org slash episode 1056. So thank you for being here, and I want to share this webinar that I did with Tamara Fike from Love in a Big World, because uh, we did it one week and had a ton of people come, then we did it the next week again and had a ton of people come, and I know that it's timely and something that everybody needs to hear, and we're talking about how to stay calm in a time of crisis. So I hope that this will be beneficial for you. And enjoy the webinar that we did. And thanks so much for listening to Transformative Principle. Times of crisis with my friend Jethro Jones. We are glad you're here. As we go through the webinar, please feel free to like the Love in a Big World Facebook page and start a watch party from there if you would like to share with your other educators. Jethro and I, this is an amazing conversation. Last week we had the same talk with some other friends. We had 300 registered and about 150 show up for the webinar. Today, we've got about 210 of you registered, and currently we have 108 logged in. And I know many other 
authors who are um, eager to get the recording. So yes, this will be recorded. And I hope that you can hear better now that the music is off. We had that as a placeholder while we were getting started. And here we go. Jethro, would you give us a little background on who you are, what your story is, and lead us in this conversation about calming language? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a school principal by day, and I consult and coach school principals by night. And I am just excited to be here chatting with you. I've been a principal for nine years, and I've won a couple awards. And I also have a podcast called Transformative Principle, where I interview amazing school leaders and share that with people all over the world. And it's a really awesome thing for me to be able to do. And I just love the work that Tamara is doing. And so thank you for having me and allowing me to be part of the work that you're doing. Well, I'm so glad you're here. It's good to find friends who can encourage one another along the way. And that is, that's how I feel about you, Jethro. Well, thank you. Yes, let's dig in. So we are going through quite the crisis here in our world with the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, which has caused quite a transition for schools across the world, around the globe. And um, there are people who are panicking, both in leadership as well as at home, kiddos. So Jethro, give us some, some guidance on how can we show empathy at all levels during this time of crisis? Yeah. So, you know, the, I love to tell stories of experiences that have helped me learn things. And so I want to start with a story about what we called in my school, the owl squad. And this is where I first saw the power of a school leader or anybody in maintaining calmness when there's a crisis going on. So this is how the owl squad works. If you're not familiar with it. And, and if you are, then you have a general idea. What happens is, is if there's a student who's having a rough day or starting to act out or, you know, act really inappropriately, then the teacher and the, or an aide or somebody in the classroom who's working with that kid can call for the owl squad. And as a first year assistant principal, I didn't know what that was. I was in an elementary school and I hadn't been in an elementary school before I did secondary before that. And so they called an owl squad and I saw my principal running down the hall and immediately I got anxious and amped up because I thought there's something happening. There's there's a big deal because somebody's running and you don't run in schools, right? <laughs> and so she was taken off down the hall and I asked later, I said, so what's this? Why were you running like that? She said, well, it was an owl squad. That means we need to get there right away. And I said, but when you did that, I felt really uncomfortable and anxious about something that maybe somebody was injured or there was a, a dangerous situation. And she said, well, that's just what we do. That's how we manage. And when she said that, I made a commitment that I was never going to run for anything in the school unless it was a race. And so I did run in many races at that school, but I never ran inside the school building for any reason. So every time there was an owl squad called, instead of running, I would walk there. And what I saw by doing that was that people stopped talking about it. They stopped gossiping, wondering what was happening, wondering what all the commotion was, and they just didn't make a big deal about it. And we eventually transitioned away from that and realized that there are other ways to do it. And so that example of my principal running and me feeling anxious about it really taught me 
that you have control over situations, even when you feel totally out of control. And so the first thing that we need to do is as we are talking people through situations and dealing with what they're experiencing, what we need to do is we need to use phrases that show empathy. And so here's a list of some phrases that show empathy. The first one is, I understand. Next one is, tell me more. The other one is, thanks for sharing your experience. And then finally, what else? When people people will say something and then they can stop talking when they think that you have uh, stopped listening. And so saying what else is a great way for you to say, I'm really interested in what you're experiencing and want to know more and understand more about what you're experiencing. And just these simple phrases, if you don't change anything else, but you add these things in, that will certainly help show some empathy. What would you add to this, Tamara? I would just add, Jethro, that there's so much wisdom in using these phrases. And I would say not just in times of crisis, but in any time uh, that whether it's a student or a parent or a, a faculty member is coming to you or me with a need, when we respond this way, then they know that we're on the same team. And I think that's what's critical, especially at this time, is that we all remain connected and remember that we are working towards the same goal, which is to sustain our learning community and to lift one another up. And when we can show these people that we're empathizing with them, that we're with them, they're not alone in the struggle, then they'll be more eager to go along with the leadership. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many schools that I've worked in where there's a, there's contention between the leadership and the staff. But if the leadership would just turn and use some of these phrases, then I think they'd get greater buy-in. Yeah. And Kevin put post in the chat, feel felt found statements are always good. And when you can do that, that helps show that empathy towards others. So just the other day, I was talking with a parent about how to deal and manage with this with this crisis. And she actually needed to get tested for coronavirus and was really anxious and nervous about that situation because she didn't know what that really meant. You know, you see reports on the news and and hear what people are saying and we're talking about people dying and she was just anxious. And so being able to say, you know, I understand how you're feeling. Thanks for sharing your experience really helped her to calm down, to be at peace and to, you know, not feel so stressed and anxious about it because I was able to be calm and show empathy towards her. And that that really helped a lot. And so having a way to show empathy, that's where you should always start. It builds trust, it builds support, and it helps them feel like you really care about them as a human. And I, I think too, Jethro, that active listening also gives us time to consider our response. And I know that's what we're going to get to next. So, because we need time to think. So what are some phrases that give us more time to think so that we can truly respond empathetically, compassionately to those in need rather than just resorting to this status quo answer? Yeah, that, that is so important because if you are just not thinking and you're just responding, uh, that's not going to be great. You know, and I'm sure you've been in situations, Tamara, where you have said, man, I I need to process this for a bit because what they just told me is heavy and I need to to do something with that. So 
the same phrases that show empathy also give you time to think. So using those things that I showed on the last slide, that will definitely help and that will be good. And then also making sure that you're understanding what somebody else is saying. And so in a coaching call with a principal just the other day, she really needed to to process through something. And I was able to, I didn't know how to answer her question because it was something that I had no experience with and had no idea how to help her. I don't even know why she was coming to me for coaching because she was talking about something way out of my wheelhouse. But I asked her if I understood her correctly and I rephrased what she said and she was able then to think that, to know that I understood what she said correctly, but then also it gave me an opportunity to try to process through and figure out how I could help her in that situation that was totally new for me. And we're all going through new experiences right now that none of us have the correct answer to. Mm-hmm. And then the last question on there is, how can I be most helpful today? And That is really important also, because if you can say, how can I be most helpful? You can help them narrow down what it is that they're trying to get to. And there have been times where I have, where somebody has come in and and talked to me and there's nothing that I can do to help. And I was thinking about this with, with a parent who was dealing with a lost family member. She was dealing with her kid disengaging from school and being suicidal And I finally, after she like went through this whole laundry list of challenges she was facing, I asked, how can I be most helpful today? And when she, when I asked her that, she gave me time to think about what I could actually do because I didn't know that I could do anything. But then it also gave her an opportunity to think about that situation and recognize what do I need from my child's principal? And when she did that, she was able to say, this is what I need. And when she said what she needed, it was so great to Mary because it was so easy and something that I could definitely handle. And what she needed was to know that her daughter was still going to have time to complete her courses. And I said, yes, she's going to have time and we're going to work with you to make sure that that happens. And so that gave me time to think about all the possible things she could be asking for, but it also gave her an opportunity to clarify exactly what she needed from me in that moment. And that is really profound because people definitely need that for sure. Anything you'd add to that, Tamara? Yes. What as we're talking, that question of how can I most help you today reminds me of one of my favorite shows, New Amsterdam. Have you watched mm-hmm. that? Yes, I love and that show. I do too, because I think the leader of that show Um, the the lead doctor, and I'm not going to remember his name, but he always asks, how can I help? How can I help? Mm -hmm. And being willing to ask the question and then receive a response. Again, I think it's strong leadership is about creating buy-in. People will follow if they know that we care, right? So when we ask that question, how can I help? Then they're, oh, you really do care about me. This is what I need. And then as things progress, and even if they don't get everything they want or or need, they're more apt to follow because there's trust. And trust Mm -hmm. is developed first by care and building that relationship. The other reason I mentioned New Amsterdam, Jethro, is because I think when we talked about this scenario before about the student is instead of having that those hard and fast rules of no, those assignments have to be done by this day, at this time, you could say, no, I'm opening up any restrictions or guidelines and saying, okay, here, we're going to give you the time that you need 
for your daughter to get this done. And, and that's one of the things I see with that doctor too, is that he's not so bound by the rules. And I'm not saying rules are bad. I'm just saying that in uncertain times, we have to be more flexible and remember to put students and their families first. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so, you know, I was thinking about that specific aspect of it that, you know, how can you help today is really important because the the struggles that families are facing are things that we're we're not used to and we have no idea what's really going on in their home. And so instead of, you know, assuming that everybody's got the same home life as us, which is what a lot of people do, we need to be considerate and careful to not assume that we know what's going on in their house, even if we know those people. So I have four kids that are 8, 10, 12, and almost 14. And that's a lot of kids. And just this week, three of them had a Zoom call at the same time scheduled with their teachers. And we are a highly educated family. I'm a principal, so I make good money. My wife is college educated, like all these things. And yet we're still struggling with this. <laughs> and so, and I'm a principal, so I'm like on the other side understanding. And that's the part that's really challenging is we don't know what families are going through. And so we need to try to understand what help they really need from us. And so if we can do that, then we can help them in the ways that they need the help and not just throw a bunch of stuff out there and see what sticks. But if we take that time, we actually find out what they need and how we can actually help them. It makes a really big difference. And we started out talking about phrases to give yourself time to think and certainly evolved into something else. But that's what we have to be prepared for and recognize that there's there's a lot going on. And from an education standpoint, we have to recognize that the responsibility for educating kids falls on the parents and that we are supporters of them in that. It's not the other way around. They own the primary responsibility for educating their children. They spend way more time with them. Our kids are going to learn so much more from their parents than they ever will from us. And this is a good time to remember that that is the case, that it's not about us having all the answers and being the ones who do all of the educating. Even when the kids are with us for a regular day at school, it is still the parent's responsibility and we are still supporting them. And we have to remember that as educators. And it's too easy to forget that and think that the world revolves around us, but it doesn't. And we've got to remember that. I got on a little soapbox there. That wasn't my intention, but <laughs> sometimes I, it I happens. You said that and, and uh, friends of ours are chatting and, and they're they're agreeing with, with what you're saying, Jethro, that we have to put our students and families first. Mm-hmm. And I just wrote an article that should be published either later this week or early next, that talks about just that, that one of the things I see coming out of this pandemic is the potential restructuring of what school is. Because for a long time, I'm going to have a little history lesson, we had faith communities as the center of our communities. Then that has shifted to schools being the center of our communities. And now I would just wonder if we're not having another shift again, where we're going back to family being the center of community. And how does that cause a restructuring of our educational system that we can come around families? And as you said, let them be first and foremost responsible for the education of their children. And then we provide support services to them, whatever that looks like, whether it's the technology, the online learning, the teacher support, behavioral support, 
the meal support. I mean, there's a lot of needs. And I, I think that if we choose to shift our perspective, we can see that this time is a real wake-up call for the inequities that exist within our educational system. And we can address those in a new way and help level the playing field for all children. So I know with that, even in the, in the midst of thinking of ways that things can be made new, there's a lot of fear. Jethro, there's a lot of fear of this virus. There's a lot of fear of the changes that has ha- that have happened as a result of the virus. And there's a lot of fear of, okay, well, what's next? So how can we as leaders address those fears? Yeah, you know, I think that that is everything you said there. I, I absolutely agree with. It is really important for us to have a vision of what our leadership looks like. What is my role? And Beth in the chat, she just said, I asked parents to partner with me in education. If you're not doing that, I personally think that you're missing the point of what education is for. They are the ones who are driving it, and you need to be a partner at the very least. Anything you know, less than that is not going to work. And if you think that parents are just like jumping on our school bandwagon and you know buying into our vision, that's not really how it's supposed to work. We need to buy into their vision for what they see for their kids. And so, you know, on my podcast, Transformative Principle, I've spoken a lot about every kid needs to have an individual learning plan and it needs to be specific for them, focused on them, not, you know, pulled out of these standards and that's what we're teaching, but every kid really needs to have a plan. And so I also do a newsletter about student-driven learning, which I think is is the way that I frame these conversations and it puts the student first and helps them be the ones who are driving everything else that we're doing. Anything other than that, I think, is is doing a disservice to families. And, and Jethro, what I would add to that as well is that um, part of the fear factor that maybe we don't address or haven't addressed to date is the is the power structure between school and family, right? Especially in some of our communities where we might be dealing with lower socioeconomic families and, and they feel like they're not as empowered because they're not the ones in charge. And I think what this, what this pandemic is doing for us is highlighting that we need to empower all people to take responsibility, like you said, for their children, for their children's education, and how do we come around them and provide the support that they need and really empower them as individuals. And I think that is an extremely a revolutionary concept that can help us, again, provide opportunities for all, the parents as well as the children. Because I think that's one of the other wake-up calls that I'm seeing is that this is not just about the students. This is about the entire family unit. And so, again, to that end, when you talk about even these new ideas, people can get alarmed. They can get fearful. It's like, oh, no, well, that's not the way we've done it before. So, Jethro, how do we lead people through that fear? Yeah, well, we've got to help them stay calm, to be honest. We've got to help them not get all amped up and and fired up about things. You know, just to, to push a little more on the point you were making, we don't really need to empower kids because kids are already plenty powerful, and so are families. And like Jay said in the chat, we need to differentiate for each family and what our expectations for them are. And so... One of the ways that we that we keep people calm is that we acknowledge the fear and the uncertainty that we're facing. And by doing that, you say that it's okay 
and that we can still move forward with a plan. So in this situation with the coronavirus right now, yeah, it's scary. We don't know what everything looks like, but here's how we can do it. And instead of saying, but say, and, because but means everything before it was not real, but <laughs> I, I mis- mis- did that wrong. We can also say, I'm scared too. And here's how I'm dealing with it. So I'm afraid of my family getting sick as well. And here's what I'm doing to deal with that. So like I have a daughter with Down syndrome. And so that makes this even more challenging because she needs, like she has a one-to-one aid at school. She doesn't have a one-to-one aid at home. And we have other kids and I'm still working and all this stuff. There are lots of barriers for her to get the education that she needs. And so I'm a little bit nervous about that. But the way that I deal with it is I say, okay, here's what we can do. And other parts, we're just going to have to let them go. And so when you admit that you're feeling scared or that you're not sure about the future, then it's okay for other people to admit that as well. And so being able to acknowledge that is is totally fine. And you would think that like you, I'm the leader. I have to have all the answers and be perfect and never be afraid. That's not really true. That is a misnomer that doesn't actually help. And Oftentimes, you just look oblivious to the realities if you aren't expressing some fear or if you don't have a plan. And so those are a couple of ways to deal with that. What would you add to that? I'm just looking at the chat and there's there are questions. I'm so glad that you shared your family story about your daughter with Down syndrome because they're asking about students with disabilities or non-English speaking students or students with challenges and how do we address their needs. And I personally, I'm not saying that we've got this all figured out or I have this all figured out. I'm just offering the idea up that we need to shift school to be less centered on the institution and more centered on the family and, as as Jether said, the student himself or herself. And then how do we we re-envision what school is to provide the support that is needed. So with Jethro's family, how can the school system provide the support that they need even during this time at home? What does that look like? I don't have the answers, but I think it's a good time for us to have the conversations. And and as you talk about fears, Jethro, I think just being authentic is one of the most powerful tools that we have. If If you're familiar with Brene Brown's work, she talks about the power of vulnerability. And just... In our willingness to to share our own personal struggle, again, we're taking that first step in vulnerability to build trust and care with those that we're leading. And what I found is that's how you really create community is through authenticity and vulnerability. And, And then together you can face those fears. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing I'd add to that is that when you show that vulnerability, you also open yourself up to ideas and suggestions from others. So when I say, yes, I'm scared, here's what I'm doing. I can also add, what else do you think I should be doing? What else should we be paying attention to? And that really matters a lot. And I do want to speak just a little bit about equity and equality while we're on the subject of of how schools are going to adapt. So my other three kids are all like little brainiacs and doing very well in school. I actually don't want their teachers to spend any time worrying or thinking about them because they're in a really good place and they're totally taken care of. And 
to be honest, I don't know how to tell that to their teachers without being offensive to the teachers. You know, like, don't worry, we got this. You aren't good enough to do something is how I'm afraid that would come across. But really, I know how stressed and stretched teachers are as well. And I would much rather they take that energy and focus it on the kids that don't have a wonderful home support in place and and spend that time elsewhere. And to me, that's what equity really is. You find who needs what and you give them what they need when they need it. That's what equity is. Equity isn't saying, okay, everybody has to do this work. Everybody gets the same work. And to be equitable, we'll provide things that for people who don't have internet. No, look at your families, see who's got a good home life, talk to them, see what they're doing and say, it sounds like you've got things under control. I am here as a resource whenever you need me, but I'm not going to worry about you. I don't need to check in on you. You guys have it under control. Does that work for you as a family? And if that's the approach that we take, I think that that is a very appropriate way to manage this situation. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, Jethro. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to see the latest publications, whose exciting ideas include overcoming the extrovert ideal in our schools, creating bottom-up transformation that promotes buy-in from all educators, and improving formal and informal continuous learning opportunities for teachers. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes. So how, just moving on, how can we remain calm and control our voice if we're the ones leading the conversation with a family or a staff member who might be upset. Yeah. And these are just a few tips that I have experienced. And honestly, I got most of these tips from when I did door-to-door sales and when I was a missionary (laughs) for my church knocking doors. And so what I learned doing that is that when you're nervous because you're trying to sell somebody something or preach the gospel to them when, when they may not be interested, when you speak slowly, that certainly helps a lot. And then making sure that your tone goes down at the end so that you're not ending on a high note, because then it sounds like you're asking a question. And if you go down at the end, then that really helps you seem like you're more in control and less as nervous and anxious as you might actually be. Then when you're in a situation where um, it could be intense or there could be some frustration going on, taking deep breaths as you're talking is absolutely appropriate. And I had an experience where I had an army major who was in my office yelling and yelling and yelling, really upset with me. And I just continued to take deep breaths as he was talking. And, you know, I was patient and took my time and took deep breaths. And eventually, you know, he was able to recognize that I wasn't there against him. I was there hearing him. And as Jay reiterated in the chat, if we listen and listen and listen and really listen, then we're going to be in a much better situation. And sometimes we feel like we have to respond to every accusation or threat or frustration that they have. And the reality is that we don't. And so speak slowly, 
make sure your tone goes down at the end, keep breathing. Those are all things that will help you be successful in these crisis situations so that you can be more successful at communicating to your families and stakeholders that you have. That's so good. And Jethro, what about the idea of how we communicate with people on the phone versus video chat versus in-person? I know there's not a lot of in-person happening right now because of social distancing. So given the fact that we're living in this world where most of our communications are happening either on the phone or through video chat, what are some things that we can do to exude that calm and reassure the person that we're in conversation with that we hear them and that we're on their side? Yeah, I I think the most important thing is recognizing that you're going to need to respond differently in different situations. If you're on the phone, they can't read body language, they can't see your face, they can't do any of that stuff. And so making sure that you're reiterating that you're listening and that you're paying attention is really important. When you're in person, leaning forward, paying attention, taking notes, those are things that that certainly help. Uh, One principal that I worked with, she took notes in every conversation, and the guy who came in after her did not take notes, and the parents noticed a stark difference, and they recognized that, that he did not seem to care because he was not taking notes all the time. And I thought that was a really profound, interesting thing because it it helped them, it helped that principal recognize that taking notes doesn't mean that you are taking notes of everything they say, but it means that you are saying, this is serious. I'm grabbing my pen and showing you that I'm taking notes. And, you know, you can't see my hands in this video, right? Unless I bring them into the frame. And so I can't do that on video all the time. There are ways that you can facilitate that. However, you can open up a doc and start typing and share your screen so that they can see what you're typing as a way to say, yes, I'm paying attention. And those those are really important to pay attention to as well. And then finally, uh, on video calls, having your screen there in front of you. So I have three monitors here in my home office. And so I can look over at these different places and not be paying attention to you at all. And you could see me looking this way and think, well, Jethro must not be paying attention when in reality, I may be looking at your video that's over here on this monitor. And so being aware of that and putting the thing that you're paying attention to on the screen where your camera is. And and so if there's like an agenda that I'm looking at, like my video can be behind it and I may not see anybody else, but the thing that I'm looking at and paying attention to that thing is on the screen with my camera. And those are just a couple little things that can help you be adaptable in those different situations. So what I hear you saying is some of the on-screen is very similar to what we would do in person, making good eye contact and keeping that eye contact and, and just communicating with our body language as well as with our words that we are tuned in to what people are saying. Yes, exactly. And one thing that you may have noticed in your Zoom meetings over the past couple of weeks since we've all been in so many is that you can see somebody's face light up from moving a white screen over in front of their into the different things. So if somebody's on a video and it's mostly dark and then they switch to a web browser and it's mostly white, then their face lights up differently and you can notice that. And so you can tell when somebody's disengaging or not paying attention. And so being able mm-hmm. to have strategies to deal with that is important. And if you you may need to be doing something else while you're listening, pulling up a document, doing something else, and that 
that may be necessary. But the important thing is being able to manage both of those things at once and not give people the impression that you're that you're tuning out when that's not really what you want to be doing. Right. And one last thing that I'm thinking about, Jethro, before we go, because we're we're a little over time, but this is such an important conversation, mm-hmm. is the idea of self-care. So I know we talked about this a little bit last week, that whether we're on the phone or whether we're on a video, there are some things that we can do if we feel our temperature rising to help us get calm so that we can communicate that calm to others. Will you share those ideas with us again? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I like to do is if I'm on the phone, I pace a lot. That helps me keep my temperature down. Um, If I'm on a video, I can, you know, put my feet in different positions so that people don't see it and, and do things to, you know, rub my feet together or something to help me just self-soothe and take care of myself. And then I also have a little fidget on my desk all the time. And you may not be able to see that very well, but it's just a little ring made out of metal. And I could just rub it on my finger and, you know, I'm doing it here so you can see it, but you can also do it out of the screen, some sort of fidget to help you do that. And then take, you know, advantage of the mute button and put yourself on mute. And, you know, I was in a meeting the other day and I had my video off because the internet connection was poor and I was able to yell at the computer when I was frustrated because my mute was on and the video was off. And so sometimes that's what you need to do. And taking care of yourself is is the most important thing. And I have a, a trauma course that I uh, talk about how to help schools deal with trauma. And the self-care strategy that I share in that is, which is so important right now, is having a place to drop all your worries from work off. And if you're working from home, that can be really tough. And you've got to find a way to separate your work from your home because your family, even if your family is just yourself, your family needs you at your best because they are the most important people in your life. So you've got to find a way to make sure that you are able to step back and separate from work. So what I teach people is to find a place to drop everybody off out of your mind, drop them off at the pool, and then go home. And when you're working out of school, you can drive by that spot and pick them up in the morning. When you're working from home, you've got to just put them in a little box somewhere and let them stay there or take a walk outside and drop them off outside. Doing those little things is super important. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Jethro, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and experience with us today. And friends who have joined us, thank you for taking the time. Know that both Jethro and I are here to support you in the work that you're doing for our schools, our communities, and most of all, for our children. I feel personally such a sense of urgency about preserving childhood during this time and coming together as the adults who love and care for our kids. So we are here to help and support you. I will be sending out a follow-up email with the link uh, so that you can view this or or share this with your colleagues. Um, Please keep in touch. Next Tuesday, I'll be doing a webinar with Richard Gerber about change and how we navigate through change. So that will be at noon central time next Tuesday. I hope that you'll join us. And again, thank you so much, Jethro. And before we go, Jethro, how can folks get in touch with you? So there are a couple of ways. JethroJones.com is an easy way. And there's my phone number on the screen. You can text me uh, right there and I'd be happy to help you out and support you in any way I can. So uh, that's 801-252-6368. 
send me a text. I'd love to chat with you. Thank you, Tamara. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jethro. Keep up the good work, everyone. We're all in this together. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information or learn more in our show notes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.